Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, we're past one Olympic Games this year. We have another one coming up the beginning of 2022. And if you watch the Olympics, if you watch sports at all, you have to marvel at the training that goes into those performances. To get to an elite level, you have to put in the time, but you also have to perform on game day. And we know that doing things under pressure is not the same as doing them day to day in practice. And that's something to think about in the business arena as well. What are the lessons that elite athletes can give business leaders in terms of how to perform? Well, I have a great guest today to talk to me about that. Her name is Diana Drury, and she's a director of team and executive coaching at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. The Queen's actually has an interesting partnership with the Canadian Olympic Committee, and they have as, as MBA students several elite athletes, former athletes. Diana is an expert on how athletes succeed and how leaders can learn from them and how to get through whatever challenges they need to to succeed themselves. I've had a great conversation with her. There's a lot of takeaways that anyone can apply to their own career. So I think it's really a, a great conversation. Please stay with us to hear it. Are there lessons that business leaders can get from elite athletes? Our guest today thinks that there are. Diana Drury is Director of Team and Executive Coaching at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. And she joins me now to talk about how athletes train and perform and how some of those lessons can be brought into the boardroom and the workplace. Hi, Diana. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, I have so many questions about your program and the experience with it, but I always like to start by asking guests about their own background. You have a unique job. How did you end up doing this? Well, that's a long story, and I will try to be as short as I can. Uh, I've had, uh, I came from the sporting world, Linda, uh, myself, uh, as an athlete, as a coach, and as a builder. And I have competed at the highest level um, at the World Masters Games. And before the World Masters, I competed nationally. And internationally and coach there as well in the sports. Tell us about your sport. Uh, lacrosse, um, fastball, and ice hockey are the three that I excel at. Awesome. So, okay, you had that background and somehow you're in academia or in a, uh, an MBA program. Yes. So what happened was I was uh, brought in as um, initially in 2002 as a consulting coach for my world of sport into the world of MBA. And from there, in 2011, the associate director came and said to me, will you leave and come over here to be the director of team and executive coaching here at Smith? That's cool. So that's been how many years now? Um, I've been the director since 2012, January of 2012. So almost 10 years. I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences that uh, would be really helpful if you talked about, but let's start at the beginning here. This is an MBA program, so we think of this as business, but you're bringing a different eye to it. What's your yeah, kind of I, big picture? Yeah, I think I am bringing, I just find that, you know, as athletes, you can bring so many wonderful things into the MBA classroom that, uh, you know, people that haven't experienced at that level, um, could, it can complement in the classroom. Things like, you know, time management, discipline, coachability, uh, the, the ability to cope under pressure. I find those fascinating. And when you combine those with uh, the students we get in our MBA world, 
uh, it's a very nice fit and they learn from each other. Well, talk about how athletes train because you've seen it across multiple sports, obviously. What are the common things that they do that you would like others to do too? Uh, I think in the training, you have to be very disciplined. Uh, I think you have to, um, you know, follow the coach. You have to try new things. You have to accept what I call constructive feedback and, you know, step out of your comfort zone to uh, ensure that the coach has your back and that they're trying to make you a better athlete and a better person. That's what we try to mimic in the work world today at Smith. Because you are training these students to be leaders, right? As well as to mentor other people. Absolutely. Uh, Training them to be leaders and and to know what works and what doesn't work based on experiences and uh, bringing in people from different backgrounds, Uh, making it as diverse as possible, I think is a really rich learning. Now, you also come from a team sport background, and this is something we hear about so much in corporations. We're a team and we still have a team, even though we're over teleconferencing right now. It's a pandemic. How do you actually make that work? I think, you know, Linda, we've learned a lot from the pandemic, but uh, team can be brought into whether it's live or whether it's virtual. Our best practices, they transfer over into that virtual world. But I think the big thing we've had to do is over communicate and use that platform to check in more regularly to make sure people are with us, that they're safe, they're they're engaged, um, because there's so much distraction going on when people are working at home. Well, how do you teach this? You have students and they're going to go out there. What are the things you want them to remember when they are team leaders? Uh, I think we teach that you have to be nimble and flexible in, in the world today. And I think, uh, um, you know, team reset for the future of work. When you talk to people who actually are in industry, and I know you do one-on-one coaching as well, correct? Yes, uh, we do. Okay. How well do you think this is happening? Are people really creating good teams? Because I hear a lot about dissent right now. You know, Linda, I think there is a lot of dissent out there, but, you know, from what we've learned and, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years, we've had the luxury of having video conferencing. So we've been able to incorporate that and use the Zoom platform like the transition was quite seamless for us. And so I think teams really need to reset. And I think it starts with the leader is, you know, finding out what do we do moving forward? Who are we? Um, You know, what do we want to be and where are we right now with the unknown? And trying that reset with your current teams, because I believe uh, lots of people have come and gone in the work world. They've left positions and, you know, we have a different mix in the world today. Well, I think it's interesting that with athletes, they're training continuously, right? But they are setting goals, whether it's to go to the Olympics or, you know, acquire a skill. Do you think we do that enough in the workplace? Because sometimes it seems like people are are not guided particularly well. Uh, I agree. Uh, And one of our best practices is that we come in and we team build early on. And we, um, you know, one of the things I do is deliver um, mission goals and norms and the importance of setting a team contract. I believe if you don't have a direction and you don't have alignment on how you're going to work together, really a team doesn't function as well. So I think we need to be disciplined that way as athletes are uh, to follow some protocols and follow some operating principles that we can all get along with and work with. And if we don't, we revisit those by constantly debriefing what's working and what isn't. Well, that's really interesting because I can think of places I've worked that didn't feel there was a team contract. Uh, It it seemed like there was a lot of people with different agendas and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. How do you implement that? And is there even a will to implement that in some organizations? Uh, You know, I think it starts with the leader. 
I really believe that, that you bring the collection of the collaborative people together and you let them collaborate with you. You don't set it out as a leader, but it's a very, uh, it's much of a team led. So everyone's an equal at the table. They're, you know, the leader is there to make sure the work is getting done, but it's a collaboration of everyone's effort and input into that contract. Um, you know, and I, I believe teams need to have a purpose. They need to have goal setting and they need to be able to measure those goals. And then we need to figure out a way to work together and buy into those common norms, um, operating principles. And as I said, uh, in the early stages, you don't know what you don't know, but you can come back and revisit them. If they're not working, then let's engage to make something works and that works and then follow through to that next step. Do you have any examples of this, Diana, like organizations where perhaps they weren't really aligned with this, but you were able to get them to that place? Uh, I, I actually do. Uh, I worked with a company actually myself, Embridge, and we worked on um, one of the pipelines. And this is just before COVID, ha COVID happened. They had me go out and I flew out to Banff and they brought in engineers. They brought in uh, people from Embridge. They brought in all kinds of consultants. And I had two full days with them to build a new team on how they were going to actually develop this pipeline. And, you know, people from all over, um, engineers, uh, you know, the CEO of the company said to me, this isn't going to work, Diana. And I said, well, let's try it. And I, what I did, Linda, was I focused them on understanding who they were and the strengths they had to bring to the table. And once we broke away some of those barriers, uh, we got into the hard work, which was discussing how will we build uh, where we want to go with this. So let's talk about what is the goal here and then how are we going to get there? And I'll tell you, uh, there were some heads turning at the end of it. And I was in fact actually invited out to other uh, organizations to do this before COVID hit because they couldn't believe the impact it had. Most of these people being males who are very set in their ways, they don't work together in teams. And that's interesting because we do think of, well, men working, being on teams, uh, growing up with sports and all that, but it doesn't always translate through. You're exactly right there. Um, you know, it's very different in the work world versus a team. And I found this working with, you know, our wonderful Olympians that have come into some of our programs that, you know, if they're looking at a goal from four years out, they're fixated on that goal for the next four years. It's day in, day out. They live and breathe that. And when you think about that discipline, but when you're in an MBA team, you, you work towards your goal of gaining an MBA with the people around the table. So it's very different mindset on the role you play, but it does equivalent to the same thing. You want to meet your goal at the end of the year or the end of the four years when you're hitting your Olympic stage and performing the best on that given day. Well, I did want to talk to you about that because you have this MBA program where you actually bring in athletes. You recruit them uh, to do their MBA and then go on to the next stage of their careers. Talk about how that came to be. Well, that, that again, was a wonderful story. We went, um, our, our dean at the time um, went and met with um, the head of the COC at the time. And I'm trying to remember his name because they've changed over quite a bit. But we ended up with a partnership that was quite unique so that we were able to bring in athletes and really help them to um, look to the future when they were no longer part of that Olympic stage. How do you transition from being a high-performance, world-class athlete where you've only trained within your sport medium, and how do you then branch out into what, what I call you know, the next stage, the real world? Because that can be scary. It can be very scary when you've been protected in this forum for you know, anywhere up to 12 years as an Olympian. And you know, the example there, Tessa Virtue, um, who's in our program scary. now, who, yeah who really did transition. And, and when she was ready, when she finally decided that 
uh, her skating career was over, what she needed to do next was branch out and learn what she could do next. And business was the next logical step for her. So again, this is a great transition and partnership that we have with the COC for uh, eight years. And we're in the fifth of eight years right now. And you have several soccer players, I believe. We do. And actually, we just brought in, uh, I just worked with uh, in our exec MBA, the 2023 class that just started in August, uh, Diana Matheson uh, joined us. And Diana, unfortunately, uh, wasn't able to uh, finish her dream of going to the Olympics this past year because of her foot injury. But I'll tell you, the world, uh, the game, the gold medal game on that day, I was watching and I had to go in 30 minutes later to launch the EMBA that Diana was a part of. And both of us came in just on time because I was getting phone calls and she was actually sending out all kinds of, uh, you know, tweets to her teammates. And also she was being interviewed and we came in and I was on such a high. I had to bring myself down to be able to teach the class because it was such a wonderful experience to see what they did and what they achieved. That's right. And we should say this is the gold medal game at the Olympics. The Canadian women uh, took the gold. We have some listeners from many countries. But very, very cool. Um, I want to talk about the pressure side of this, because if you're talking about the athletes, whether it's the Olympics or anything else, it's about performing under pressure. No matter how much you train, you have to be there on game day. So to some extent, athletes manage to do this. What are the practices that they have that we could think about for business? Because there are times you have to step up to. You know, Linda, this is, you know, I continuously come back to the idea that pressure is helpful. And when you look up to the Olympic Games that just happened with these athletes, they had to um, endure so many different areas of pressure that were unknown to them, um, from the protocols of COVID to you know going from their hotel to the practice field or to the pool only, back to their rooms. Uh, there was no socializing. There was no family there. And it was really unpredictable. A lot of it was out of their control. But I find it fascinating that we set so many uh, record hauling medal performances across the world, not just in Canada, but everyone stepped up to the plate and, and we produced these iconic performances. And I think that people underestimate uh, what I call the value of pressure and how helpful it can be as a source of motivation when we start to think of energy as fuel and power. Can you train for that, though? Are there ways that? You I, yes, I do that? believe you can. I think you have to um, you have to practice for the various situations. You have to go through mentally. What if this happens? So out of the routine. So if we use the women's soccer, uh, the gold medal game against Sweden, you know, Team Canada hadn't beat the U.S. before either. They had worked up to beat them in the semis and had gone on and Sweden had a, had not won a gold either. And what we see is that, you know, the routines that you have to plan for the unexpected, just like in the work world, COVID hit us. And we all went into this mode of, you know, what do we do? What next? But I think the rehearsal for the women's soccer team, what they did was they planned for everything that could happen. So in the moment, getting through the game, 90 minutes, what happens if we go into overtime? What does it look like if we go into penalty kicks? And we prepare and we practice for that. So we rehearse over and over again. And we have that preparedness so that it doesn't come as a shock or a threat and add even more pressure. We change that pressure into what I call a challenge. And that challenge creates that energy and that fuel to, I believe, lead to harder work ethic and higher standards to achieve the goal in the end. So if you are a manager or leader, you want to have an organization that you know can do this, can pivot that way, what are the practical things you should be doing? 
I think you the practical things are through protocols at work, through routines, um, being flexible and looking at controlling what you can control, uh, allowing yourself to be open, to be surprised in the world today that is very different every day, you know, something new is happening. And I think if we're, we're able to be surprised, there isn't that much um, out of our control at that point. So we're more um, ready and prepared for it, similar to what they were, these athletes in the games, is through the, the routine, again, Linda, and the protocol of the flexibility of expecting that we're going to have uncertainty come our way. You know, it's interesting, even thinking about training, uh, I kind of wonder how much is going on. Because generally speaking, companies in North America don't train enough in general on anything. Maybe a little bit more, but to a large extent, it's kind of you just let things happen. From your perspective, is this changing? Are we seeing a lot more, you know, formal training? I think we are. I think it's slow. But I think we are. I think we have to change in order to still be competitive and to keep up with the uh, the world today. It's like, you know, we're going to get on the ship or we're going to sink with the ship. And I think the ship is moving forward in that we have to look at the new hybrid ways of working, whether we're live together in the workplace, whether we're a couple of days at home. I think collaboratively, we need to figure out how everybody can still bring their best game to the table, whether we're live together or we're not. And I do think workplaces are starting to change and look at what are the ways we can move forward that are productive, that can engage people that have been left out and feeling very isolated, um, working at home remotely? So much going on behind the scenes, but how can we still be productive and get the best work out of everyone, regardless if they're live in the office or whether they're working from home? And, you know, I'll ask you, do you have examples of companies doing this well? Because it has been a very trying time. Yeah, um, you know, because I'm actually isolated so much into the world of academia, um, I do hear from some of the teams through my coaches that they've tried some of the things we have shared with them as best practices, and they've gone into the workplace and come back and told us simple things like having regular debriefs um, with their teams on what's working, what isn't working, and how can we leverage what's working and move forward with that and recognize that if we're doing the same things and they're not working, we are not being efficient and effective in the workplace. So I hear about that a lot. Um, as for specific examples, I, I, you know, I do know in the world of business, people have come back to us from, you know, big businesses like IBM, um, different areas where we're seeing lots of growth and, and change, which is for the positive. Now, you said your coaches, when they come back to you, uh, yes. you're referring to people you have trained to do this? Yes, we have team coaches, Linda, that I assign to every MBA and master's program team that we offer because all of our MBA masters are team based. So 50% of what we do is a team mark and 50% is individual. So they can't pass without the teamwork. And so the coaches assign um, and they're with the, the team through the journey. So they're making sure they're aligned through their team charter, which is the mission goals and norms that are set up front through the team building I do. And then through there, we give them best practices. We fill the toolkit so that they can actually work together to be successful in the MBA or master's program, but they can take some of those best practices and implement them in their workplace and, and start to see if they notice any change and any driving force that's going to help better their teams in the work world. Well, when you say best practices, you're referring to you know, what's in that toolkit? In that toolkit are things like uh, roles. So we have roles that, that each team fulfills so that they're taking leadership roles on and rotating them through the duration of the program. Role of a chair. We know a chair is very important in meetings. 
And we know that we need to have a scribe, not a minute taker, because no one reads minutes, but we need scribes, which are someone that takes actions and decisions and then sends them out to the team so that the team, it's a reminder insurance for the team. We have the role of the lead, which is the project manager. And that lead, usually in our model, Linda, is the learner, whereas the second to the lead is the expert in the subject matter. So there's much more richness in learning when your lead is your learner, not the expert, because then everybody's buying into doing their share of the work through an assignment plan that the lead puts together. And then they come back and they share that wonderful uh, research they've all done. And that lead puts the project together with the help of the second, who's the expert. And then it goes back out to the team at that 95% mark where everybody has a last eye on it before it's submitted to the professor uh, with everyone's names on it and everybody gets the same grade. So there's that buy-in of collaboration around the table. Now, that's so interesting and it's great when it works. But again, I, I think back to so many places where you have a, sp- a spirit of competition within the organization, never mind with other organizations. How do you change that? Well, I believe that there, there needs to be a mindset of, you know, the growth mindset that, that starts at the top. Um, and I believe that there's growth opportunities. If a leader steps back and can actually have uh, pairings of people that are higher up in the organization working with people they want to mentor and to help them bridge that gap so that there's a learning opportunity, but there's also empowerment for that junior person to work with a senior person who may be a little bit more, um, you know, senior and have more knowledge. But I think empowering people to be transformed in that growth mindset, that challenges can help you grow. Feedback that is constructive is so powerful and and that effort. Um, You know, I can do anything and I can learn to do anything through working with someone that's there to mentor me. I think the whole organization grows when you've got sort of um, instead of that tiered approach, you've got an equal level playing field. And I think organizations need to recognize that. Are they, though? I mean, it's all wonderful if you have the right leader, right? If you don't have the coach that you respect, it falls apart. Yes. And, and I've said to people, you know, I think you need to go in and change that mindset. If you can have any type of uh, opportunity to come to the table with things that you would like to share and things that you've learned through your program to get the leader to maybe open up. Um, and, and find new ways. And I've often said to people, if it's not going to be the way, who can you influence within your own team to make changes? Because I believe that if you can't change it from the top, if you can change it within your own team to make your team better and have them grow as well so that you as the leader um, are facilitating that, you're part of it, but you're empowering your own employees to grow, be better at the challenges, um, inspiring them. And really, um, I think people will take that step forward and, and surviving within the team does make the organization look better as well. All right. So we're at this point where we're, I don't want to say coming out of the pandemic because who knows, you know, when that will be, but we're getting into a different stage of it. We're like what 18 months or more into it right now. Leaders have learned a lot of things. What would you like them to learn for the next phase? I think they need to learn that as we go forward, we need to be more nimble. We need to be more agile and more flexible in in the way that companies work today, the way people um, need to work. I think we need to be more mindful of getting the best still out of our people. But in what way does that work for them? Does it mean in the office five days a week? Does it mean at home for two and in the office for three? Um, I know people are struggling now with what that's going to look like coming back into the work world. But I do believe that this medium of virtual Uh, Meeting virtually can work, 
but I but I also think there needs to be buy-in and everybody needs to have a say at the table as to what's going to work best for the team, making sure that all those new things about being nimble, agile, flexible, but having that empathy as well as we go forward for the people that are, are still struggling out there today with how to work with you know, a different mindset, a different, um, it's a different world, Linda, as we all know, and, and just being able to, to go with it and learn that we can learn from pressure. We can learn from challenges to be better. Um, there's just so much there. I think that we just need to take one step at a time. Diana, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Linda. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Diana Drury is Director of Team and Executive Coaching at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. Well, that's it for today. If you did want to find out more about Diana and about the program at Queen's, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did enjoy this conversation, please take a moment and leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Now, that's how people find us. And that will really help us continue these conversations about the future of work. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. 